0: everybody, welcome to 10 Laws with East Forest Podcast. This is our episode just before Thanksgiving. I hope you're, I don't know, you're hitting a train, you're hitting a car, something like that. You're going to take some podcasts with you. Maybe this one you're listening to right now on your travels. I myself just got back from a little traveling. We just finished the Esalen Institute weekend. I was there with Marissa Rada webner and we had about... 20 or 30 souls in the room there. And man, I tell you, it was really nice. It was better than I thought it would be and I knew it was going to be good. We had great weather and uh, I mean, as I've said before, it's just insanely beautiful there. It's such a powerful place, hugging the ocean and being up on the, out, overlooking the Pacific Ocean like that. It's just everywhere you go, you're just completely surrounded in this incredible energy So it's a wonderful setting just to be in. And then over the course of the weekend, we kept exploring essentially how music can be used as a tool and how this can help take us inside and get us in touch with our own intuitive wisdom. And so we did that in lots of different modalities. We did a big East Forest ceremony concert there that was opened up to the whole campus, which was totally awesome to share But we did some co-creative music, we did music with yoga, we did walking meditation music, music experienced outside, different forms of active listening, Uh, we did some ritual and some ceremony, and I was really happily surprised with the depth of it and how everyone really just showed up, and I'm looking forward to going back. We're going to be there in June for the solstice, so see if that interests you. One thing that was crazy, though, was flying into uh, San Jose, and then we drove down, and man, the smoke from those fires in Northern California was just unbelievable, and uh, been dealing with smoke all summer long this year and last year, when I was everywhere, when I was in Boise, in Salt Lake, and even sometimes in Southern Utah, in Portland last year, it's just, it's such an intense experience. And this particular fire that was in paradise in that whole area was kind of hard to fathom. The idea that you're evacuating in your car on a road and the fire is so hot that it overtakes and melts like the cars in the road and moving, I heard at 80 football fields a minute. It's just, it, my heart goes out to everyone who lost things and obviously people who, uh, died. It's just a really hard thing to fathom. And it's really hard when things like this happen on a planet, which frankly happened probably horrible suffering every day somewhere on this planet every day. And I think if we were to zoom out, and if you were to look at the entire planet earth, and somehow you could see maybe in color, death and birth, perhaps there are two opposing colors, what you would be looking at is a swirling that's constantly in motion. That is a representation of life itself. And here we are on the planet and we do have to witness difficult things. There is suffering. And that suffering, it's not something that we're here to toss away or ignore. And I, you know, we're not supposed to be in some kind of me culture. We're in the wellness world where it's all about diving into ourselves and ignoring what's happening out there. If anything, it's to... Get us in touch with our own strength and resolve and wisdom so that we can be more engaged with the world around us and the walk that we walk. The karma that we have in this world, which sometimes is, it's not a straight line. And these things, it's called the mystery for a reason because it's not meant to just be understood in the way that our brain wants to simply understand it and compartmentalize it and just put away in a box and be like, okay, we got it. You know, if it was, if we could just wrap our head around everything all and just figure it out, there would be no point to being here. And that's just really my own intuitive wisdom, my own hit that I feel about what it means to live inside the mystery and have to see the sacred and the profane happening all at the same time. And there's just some kind of trust that I hate to say, you know, there's a perfection to it. And I'm not. that's not me saying that what happened there in paradise, for instance, with the fires, isn't real. It absolutely is real. And absolutely, I encourage all of us to help in the ways that we can help and that we feel called to. And I'm just saying that I don't understand it, but I feel a certain level of blessing to it. And there's a contradiction in that feeling itself, but there's a truth to that contradiction. And that represents what the mystery is. So it's really more poetry in the way that music and art speaks to this contradiction, speaks to the act of living in the mystery itself. And anyone that tells you they do have it figured out or they know what this whole show is about, they don't. They're kidding you because you can't know. The old Lao Tzu quote, which I'll paraphrase, was translated anyway, but the man who speaks to truth does not know the truth because truth cannot be spoken. So that's sort of what this whole podcast is about, is just getting into conversations. It's another form of exploring the mystery, another form of deepening our experience of our walk on the planet. Because... The music, I hope, does that. The retreats do that. These conversations do that. And anything else, any other people that we bring in to introduce to our lives and your lives and my life, it's it's really a, a celebration of that mystery. Because what else is there to do but to celebrate and to breathe and to love, to love our ways through it? When we were at Esalen, I... I played a couple of the Ram Dass tracks. Um, they haven't even been mastered yet for the group. We did a little private listening thing. I played three tracks. And there's a line in one of the tracks where Ram Dass is talking about loving your dark thoughts. And there was a, a woman in the group who hadn't heard of Ram Dass and was really turned on by these songs. She was really getting her uh, heart and her brain going, thinking like, Wow, that really made me think, who is this guy? I want to check him out, which is awesome. But she asked me later, she's like, you know, what, what does that mean? I don't, I don't get that. What does it mean to love your thoughts or love a dark thought? And I was just trying to explain what I think he's getting at, which is that it's not that you're loving that you're having it. It's more the fact that you're bringing the energy of love to the fact that you have dark thoughts. And the way through it isn't so much pushing things away, but pulling it in closer in an embrace with love and saying, this, this is there too. And that love has an element of a witness to it. And that witness is you too. And that witness consciousness or your soul consciousness is what can elevate you into that space of the soul mind, which... Is, is part of you, it is you, and that's that larger sense of consciousness that is, it encompasses everything, right? Everything. The soul loves everything. It's another line from Ramdas in the project. And I think that's kind of like a way, again, of looking at the intense suffering that we see. You just, you love it. You don't have to understand it to love it. And we love it. And by loving it, we are, are serving it and serving ourselves. Yeah. So through that smoke, through that fog, you keep walking your walk. And sometimes you can't see where you're going. Maybe most of the time. But there are times where all we really need is just sort of a little hand in the fog that just we're almost able to reach and is telling us where to take the next step. And that's sort of what I think synchronicity is. It's one of the roles it plays. It's just giving you that little hand in the fog to say, come this way. And it's always has an energy for me of love and playfulness. That trickster energy almost like it's, you know, it's just enough, but just not enough. <laughs> the jig can't be up, but sometimes with those big moments of synchronicity, it's almost like the jig is up because you really need it. You need a hit like that. You need a miracle. You need a miracle story. And that's to me what those miracle stories are inspiration. Today we have a conversation with Alex King-Harris. He's the founder of Yogi Tunes and he's also a DJ, a musician, cool guy. I've, I've crossed paths with him several times over the years. He brought me in to play a few events like at Beloved in Oregon and we also did another event in Oregon um, at uh, Beloved's Inspired Truth, like the New Year's Eve uh, thing they do. A couple years ago. So we've we've crossed paths, we've hung out, but we've never actually gotten I was really pleasantly surprised by our conversation. We just got into the depth of a lot of cool subjects in his life and my life. And of course, it just goes where it goes, which is what this is all about. And it was great. It was a really great conversation. So um, I'm excited to share that with today with you with Alex. And I don't have a lot else to report to you as far as things to uh, promote Yeah, I mean, we're getting into the holidays and most of the stuff now is going to be in 2019, unless I'm forgetting something. (laughs) But I'm right now in that fog of coming back. And when you spend a weekend doing retreats, I think it takes a little bit of time to recharge. You got to plug the phone back in of your heart and, and it just takes a little time. So I'm taking things slow today, moving into the Thanksgiving week. I hope you are too. I hope you're moving through that, which is with as much grace as you can. Take all the tools you need. Get into your podcast mode. Get into your music. Don't forget to do yoga. Eat extra ice cream. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side of this holiday. So sending lots of love. This is The Conversation with Alex King-Harris. Check it out.
1: good i just uh went for a sauna did some yoga
0: oh i have a sauna too oh sweet man yeah it's like the first thing i built on this land was a little bathhouse sauna actually it's not that little but i don't even have a home but i built a a sauna
1: that's the priorities though man if you get land build the bathhouse first
0: yeah mine's pretty cool it's it has the cold dunk outside sweet and um i think i can fit like comfortably four or five six people you could cram in 10 but it's got a sound system in there
1: sweet dude nice Uh, how does that work with the sound system in the heat like it's all good i got
0: i got some of these speakers that are made for a shower okay and They've been okay. They're passive. So I feel like there's not a lot of electrical equipment inside them. You know what I mean? Like the amp is somewhere
1: else. Okay. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I could, I'll do a sauna later tonight. I could definitely use a sauna. Um, Yeah. So So you are in Victoria?
1: Yeah. I'm in Vic. Um, This is actually, I grew up here as a teenager and went to music school here before I moved to the States. And uh, I just got back like I mean I got back three years ago, but it feels like just because I was in the u s for fifteen years, yeah,
0: is it a different scene up there, or is it kind of similar because it's so close to the u s as far as I don't know just how your life was in the in the states? My friend lives in Victoria, so I've been there several times
1: yeah it's it's really different i mean it's it's amazing how you kind of have to check yourself because visually it looks really similar. But to right. me, the vibe of being in Canada is very different. And it has its, you know, it's, the differences are, some of it's social. People are just a little more laid back here. But at the same time, it's not, it hasn't been, in my experience, been as innovative and cutting edge as what's happening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh so it kind of has a different spectrum of what's happening here. Business is booming, like Victoria and Vancouver. The tech industry is just exploding. So uh, it's good for me because I'm in like a, a tech slash music uh, place in my journey. So in that way, it's good. But, you know, the music scene is still a little a little green, it feels like for me, for what I do anyways. Yeah. Um,
0: Are you speaking mostly to like how it interfaces with the wellness or yoga scene or just more
1: electronic? Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening at all. I would say as far as yoga music, you know, and I think we use that term really carefully because it can ensue that it's sort of like deeply. Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) but um, I think the indie rock scene up here is pretty bumping. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe the pop electronic scene is is also going pretty strong, but outside of that, the, you know, there's there's not as much. So maybe some bluegrass and folk music and stuff a little bit, but um, yeah, that's uh, I'm pretty much the only person up here that does what I do. I would say just from feeling around and checking in and moving about, you know, which can be fun because it's it becomes a, a, a unique experience for people. But I've late, recently been super missing some of my LA and Bay area, and Nevada city music homies, just wanting to have some of that peer sure. contact, you know? So
0: what is the edge right now for you of what you're doing with music and in that scene? And like, how's, <clears throat> how's that all sort of evolving lately?
1: Well, for me, I mean, it's been a journey and I feel like what's really coming right now is, uh, I study with a teacher from Israel who, does these amazing um, singing vocal journeys and they're just really acoustic and raw. And he uses some influence of Sufi mysticism and some Jewish mystic influence. And he's a phenomenal musician himself. Like he's certainly, certainly achieved a level of virtuosity where it's just really captivating to watch. And you just sit in a really intimate setting with him and sing and, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a practice, uh, a spiritual practice like any of getting really empty and really present and getting out of your performer head state and into more of a, a direct contact with the source of music space. And that, for me, fills me with a lot of purpose. And I feel like it's a good antidote for the digital because it's just such a, a right. direct analog experience. So I'm learning you know, the process of facilitating that kind of work. Um, I'm going to do take a training with him in a couple of weeks here. He comes to Salt Spring Island, which is close by here uh, once a year for like a 10-day training. And um, it certainly brings a lot of meaning for me. And what I think people want is they w- a lot of people want to have a voice or they want to get in touch with their own vocal ability whether it's through their actual voice or some other music instrument a lot of times there's all these like barriers to entry in their own head of what they think they need in order to access music and this is just a really directly accessible way that i love
0: um how do you work with them if if he's not there or has he come in
1: uh well he comes once a year and then i just do i just have a practice a daily practice of sitting uh, with with my guitar and uh Ah. Kind of emptying out and just going through these exercises. There's they're like mindfulness exercises of listening, really actively listening, right. and um, it's almost like taking a certain yin approach to to playing, where you're softening your body and you're exhaling long vocal size and breathing in a really specific way of making contact with spirit while you breathe, and just letting whatever wants to come through come through, rather than trying to be in that state of like controlling the improvisation or whatever.
0: So it's mostly um, something you can do alone.
1: Yeah, you can do it alone. Yep. And then there's you know there's a beautifulness, a beauty to doing it in groups. But I I practice it solo all the time. Do you think it's
0: something that's open up to people who aren't quote unquote musicians?
1: Yeah. In fact, I think it's a really accessible way in for people who aren't musicians, uh, people who've had blocks around their voice, whatever they do, um, they can. It's amazing. In, in the times I've been with him, people who don't sing or aren't musical can get into just mu- as musical state as a professional singer and be harmonizing and feeling really in tune. And, you know, it takes a certain mastery to guide people into that, which is what he's really good at. But, um, yeah, it can be really transformative. So,
0: What's this guy's name?
1: His name is Amit Carmelli, A-M-I-T-C-A-R-M-E-L-L-I. And uh, he travels all over the world doing retreats. And once Mm. you take an initial retreat with him, then you can go on the more in-depth ones. They get up to 21 days where you're singing every day.
0: You uh, know who else did? Uh, Bobby McFerrin offered these retreat sort of things that were spiritual group singing type things all about the voice.
1: Yeah, I feel like it taps into that kind of source experience. It certainly affected how I perform. I'm much more empty. I don't think as much as I used to. Or if I'm thinking, I'll just do the, do that practice of just softening my body and listening and breathing, and mm. it just instantly gets me out of my head. So it's it's really nice for performers. Have you brought much
0: um, singing into your live performance?
1: Yeah, I think it's changed. It's put my voice pretty central, whereas it used to be very peripheral, and um, yeah. you know when i'm playing shows right now i'm kind of pushing the edge between blending my live sets with my dj sets and making making it so that it's sort of one hybridized experience so and that's a lot of times i'm bringing my voice in both in the live sections and in the dj sections yeah and just working with the mix and getting it blended so that it feels like it's part of the dj tracks but it but the live stuff also feels really produced, um, and you know, in a similar way to what you do, a lot of looping. When I'm doing my live stuff, I'm using Ableton, and I'm using um, you know foot controllers and a bunch of other controllers to loop vocals and guitar. And been mm-hmm. playing the wood flute a lot lately, and uh, building up tracks till they're pretty full, and then transitioning into DJ music and taking people on dance journeys. So. You know, the work that I've been doing with the meat has helped keep me in a space of simplicity, even with all the te- technical complexity going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we have a really great weekly ecstatic dance here in town. And that's, you know, we get like a good solid crowd coming out on Sunday mornings. So that's yeah, a great opportunity. I was going to ask
0: you if that's something you're, you were working with up there. I assume yeah. so.
1: Yeah, it's called Dance Temple. And, um... When I first got back here a couple of years ago, it was it was small, but I met with the with the person who was running it, and she was really open to c- collaborating. Her Names Jasmine Love, and we built it up to the point where it's you know we get like 140, 150 people out every week on Sunday morning, and wow, uh, now there's kind of like splinter offerings throughout the week that are some smaller, deeper dives, some women-only dances, some men-only stuff that are all part of the Dance Temple offering. And then there's uh, my partner, Naomi Jason's the founder of Dance Temple on Salt Spring Island. And that's a similar Thursday night. They get a similar crowd Thursday night, Monday night. So you can kind of bounce back and forth and play both. And, uh, you know, it's like with the ecstatic dance movement, it's just such a rad combination of like, you know, evolved rave culture and yoga culture all kind of coming together into this like, next level experience of being able to take people on a real a real journey and um you get you know people people really show up for it they really love it it's a great place to experiment and for me i love djing as much as i love playing live so um i get to express all that which is super rewarding
0: so when you're saying djing you mean like playing other people's music
1: yeah yeah dude when i first got out of music school like I got a, I had a degree in jazz and classical music, but my first gigs were actually playing guitar with DJs from the L.A. underground. Like electric guitar? Or- yeah, yeah. They came up to Victoria from L.A. and through these epic full moon parties. They were part of this big desert uh, dance tribe called Moon Tribe. Mm. And um, back then it was like, you know, there really wasn't a, a yoga music scene or anything else. This was like the late 90s. And DJs were spinning vinyl, and that's where the cutting-edge music was happening for me. It was like I knew I wanted to find the roots of electronic music. And this wasn't a rave. It was really spiritual without being spiritual. People were just there for the music. Yeah. And But I needed my instruments. so I started jamming with DJs. And then I, when I got to LA, I was mentoring with djs and watching because a lot of them were also producing but that back then you couldn't easily dj the music you were producing because you could only get it pressed the vinyl if you were like (laughs) super huge you know so yeah um i learned how to dj records one of the djs was like dude you gotta you gotta learn the dj thing man just add that to your to your cap so you know started playing records and um then everything went digital and you could dj what you were producing much easier and i just never dropped that part of my my skill set it was super fun the moment i started doing it
0: yeah. yeah yeah I, I haven't ever really dj'd um ah. i guess once like last weekend was the first time <laughs> <laughs> dude well, welcome
1: you Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh no it's like yeah it's like the am i it's like you're branded once you've done it once that's it huh <laughs> well
1: it's the like, thing is man it's like i don't Personally, I find that when trained musicians DJ, it's really awesome because they are thinking harmonically and rhythmically already. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's what makes a great DJ is you should be tuning your tracks together, knowing what keys they're in, listening to the rhythms and how they feed off each other, listening to the phrasing and the motifs. Um,
0: yeah, it was it, fun. I yeah. I I kind of felt like. I don't know. It was super fun just playing around with that and thinking about all the things you're talking about. But it did make me think that, like, that compared to performing your own music, it's just, like, apples and oranges, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact yeah. that people come up to me all the time. Like, I'll play a set, and they'll just say, like, that was a great DJ set. And I'm just thinking to myself, dude, there's it's not even the same thing. Like (laughs) I just brought all this gear and like put it (laughs) on a plane and set it up. We had to sound check and like, yeah, you know, and it's, I don't know. I guess some people, most people probably just don't really even know the difference between the two, to be honest. They're just hearing music coming out. But for me, I, 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 I've, well, I hadn't really DJed, but I do enjoy the process of creating something on the spot, like it's there's a there's pleasure in the challenge, I guess. Yeah, no, I hear
1: you. Well, and I'm just to flip it around. I'm curious what that process is like for you in your own sense of when people don't understand what it is that you're doing. You know how that feels when there's a certain lack of acknowledgement or understanding that what you're doing is actually creating.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I guess it's my own trip, right? Like, it's my own ego feeling bruised because essentially they're coming up to you and saying, I really enjoyed that. And they're using some terminology that triggers me. Um, And I I do, I sometimes correct them. I'd say half the time I say, well, actually I was playing live music. I just leave it at that. But Mm -hmm. I think they're just like, I don't, what's the, and you're saying what, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I just let it go because at this point it's like, I don't know. Yeah. What's the point in trying to correct them?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I've thought a lot about this in my career because that started happening really early. I was playing sets of all original music and getting the, like, people assume they would just introduce me as DJ Rah Rah. And I was oh, like, that Dude. happens
0: to me all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> DJ like, East no. Forest. It says, like, right, <laughs> I'll do gigs and they advertise it as with DJ East Forest. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and i I think like I think it's good to take the 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 humble path, but after a while of doing it, you know I've certainly made an extra effort to continue to clarify for people because I feel like them knowing actually fuels my passion more because there's like there is a certain let it go, and they're just like they're appreciating me but at the end of my sets now I, I just take a moment and I'm like hey just so you know like a lot of this is created on on the spot and I'm tuning into what you guys are feeling and there's something happening that we co-create together and it gives them for one thing I think it gives them a feeling of being of inclusion that's a little different than me just broadcasting pre-produced music at them
0: yeah I agree you know? yeah. I tend to do that at the beginning and yeah. I find that it makes a big difference whether I do it or not and I also have tried to put myself in situations where it's it's more obvious what I'm doing you know yeah. certain gigs <laughs> it's sort of like I'm I'm pushing I'm where I'm climbing upstream but when yeah. I I've, I've been doing these ceremony style concerts where it's in the round and you're it's quite obvious you can just everything's right there very exposed what's happening and it's very obvious yeah. it's in the moment yeah. and and then I I just find that people's experience of the music and the event is is deeper and it's more yeah. beneficial to them and more profound, and they enjoy it more yeah. when there's less of that fourth wall, less of that tuning out. Like, oh, you're just up there doing something, music's coming out of speakers, and I'm here to just like kind of be here, maybe chit-chat. I'm not really sure what's being asked to me, or we're drinking a lot of alcohol, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more of a hit or miss in yeah. you know the, the set and the setting. Makes a big, yeah. big difference and how you yeah. kind of frame the experience.
1: Yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, I would think to go further into what the edge is, like the set and setting has become so important to me that I've sacrificed my career growth um, because I'm adamant that the set and setting has to be generally, primarily alcohol free and with no conversation happening so that people can drop in. And it's not, that's not an ego thing. That's just, I've seen what it does to people. Yeah, and, I, totally. and how they can really arrive and take the medicine of what's happening in. Um, it's funny because I used to think I should have a neon sign that's just flashing with like, "This is happening live" or like original, <laughs> original drops happening like right here. Yeah, you know? I was gonna
0: make a t-shirt that I wear. It yeah. says, "I am not a DJ."
1: Totally did. Yeah, we need big ass stickers like that. Yeah, you know, flashing lights like. You
0: know? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I've certainly had to learn it the hard way. I mean, I had many years of just trying anything and having mm-hmm. some really damaging experiences emotionally, like gigs, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where you're just trying to take gigs and then you do it and you're like, wow, that was that was not good for me. And yeah, now I know I don't want to do X or I don't want to do Y.
1: Yeah,
0: And you start to refine. And, you know, but you know how it is. Like sometimes you have that, ability to control that stuff and sometimes you don't it's always a balancing act of having work and trying to get your message out without it being so stifling for people just to say yes to it and book it yeah
1: yeah i hear you man i think that's why i've been you know so i mean like what i'm doing in the rest of my time is running yogi tunes and while that's been a massive marathon effort it certainly provided me with other income and other things to focus on that you know, I'm that don't have those same kind of delicacies, too. You know?
0: Yeah, and, yeah, um,
1: right, right. And the, the hope there is to create a balanced income stream of business income, and and then being able to stay fairly um, choosy about performance venues, so that yeah. Because when I'm, you know, I would guess the same for you. When I'm opening up as in my performance, I'm way more sensitive and empathetic, and all my circuits are on, and so the lack of sensitivity is harder to take than when I'm like in business mode and I can just sort of barrel through things and, yeah. you know, it's, I don't really uh, have
0: the business side thing. But
1: yeah. I, I only
0: have the I'm kind of all in on one thing, but I would love to have something else to balance it out. It might be, might take some pressure off a little bit.
1: Yeah, I can, you know, I mean, I think a lot of my early days when I was making records, this desert dwellers and shaman's dream and, I was all in producing, you know, I just got to a certain point where, and this is a really personal choice for everybody where for me, the lifestyle of the all in artist, I wasn't doing so well. Like I was actually struggling with my, for one, my health and just the, the way in which it was pulling me. And so, you know, I made a pretty conscious decision to leave desert dwellers and pursue a business that allowed me to stay really involved in music Mm-hmm. um and that you know developing business skills certainly uh can benefit my creative life but it's also at times it's really detracted from my ability to make music so i've had to really learn to balance back out the effort of like not right. letting the business world kind of devour and take away from my creative process because it's such a different headspace you know?
0: totally and yeah. i i feel that too that Part one of the reasons I don't jump into other business ventures is because I'm worried that there's it's just a kind of a time thing and an energy suck. And it's not like I never every day I have endless things I could be doing for the (coughs) East Forest world, whether it's you know music projects, there's just always things I could be doing. Um, and then there's always side things. I'm like, why I've always had like these in the back of my mind. Well, I could do this or this or. Mm And then there's endless business side things you could be doing. So I always felt that if I tried to do something else, it would end up just taking away from that. And I already felt like I was a little bit short on time and energy. Yeah. So, yeah. but well, I don't know, man. I,
1: I think it's unique to this. Like for me, I would just say for it's been my dharma to do this path of yogi tunes because it has the potential to not only serve artists, but provide yoga teachers with something I'm really passionate about, which is music that doesn't distract from the yogic experience. And so in that way, it's like it was a unique business thing that came along that I I think aligned with my purpose. If it had been too far out of my purpose, I don't think I would have gone for it, honestly. But now the position I'm in, I feel even stronger because I've gone to lots of yoga classes where the music experience is diluting the root power of what yoga is as lots of teachers who don't really have a lot of music training are being pushed to play music in class just to kind of be part of the, like the hip yoga scene. And it, to me, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to be a, a force in there, ensuring that that doesn't happen as often while also creating the potential for artists who whose music works well for yoga to benefit. Now I'm like deep in it and we haven't succeeded yet. So this is all like still casting towards the future, but it looks really good. Like there's been multiple moments where I could have easily been done for, but the spirit of Yogi Tunes kind of just kept making it move forward. And now we've got some exceptional investors on board and and an amazing partnership with Yoga Alliance. And we actually launched worldwide on Monday with them with a brand new $100,000 app and you know, it's all Pistons go at this point. So um, I feel like there's been a lot of purpose in this that I've had to navigate the sacrifice around my own music expression. But the beautiful thing, man, is that my music hasn't suffered. It's it's certainly, I haven't produced as much as I used to, but I feel like I'm really in touch with the soul of the music right now. and, And I'm looking forward to some epic production coming up in the next while as yogi tunes starts to kind of find its own buoyancy and has enough cash flowing through it for me to not do all the busy work you
0: know what's the like what's the goal with yogi tunes that it's sort of it's a streaming service that's very uh personalized and focused that can make its own niche inside apple music title spotify or outside of that
1: Well, the specific value that we offer right now, especially in the U.S., is that Yoga Studios can sign up to our platform and the the commercial license required to play music in class that they normally would get through ASCAP and BMI gets bundled into the cost of their studio subscription with us. They pay less, and then the artists actually get their public performance royalties paid directly out. So as an artist who's had potentially millions of plays in yoga classes. I've never earned a public performance royalty for that because PROs don't actually track what gets played in a yoga class. They just they, pay uh, out based on They might try just
0: by calling them and randomly and saying, "Hey, you know, little they do these little threats, you know." Yeah. They try to get these studios to pay, but I think a lot of them don't pay or even know.
1: No, and and yet enforcement is is uh picking up more and more with yoga studios, so uh-huh. What happens is the studios end up calling Yoga Alliance. And because we're partnered with them, they recommend that they come and check us out. Um, The only thing that would stop a studio from signing, honestly, is the size of the catalog. But as we grow, I mean, we've got like maybe 400 artists in there, maybe a little more. As we grow, we'll be able to incorporate more and more music the other thing for teachers is just the time-saving nature of making playlists with us or choosing a yoga style and a class duration and getting playlists that are curated by pros so Uh, you know for a lot of teachers it's a stress to be like constantly making new playlists and they're just trying to a lot of them work a job and teach yoga and they're just trying to wrap their head around the music thing so um there's certainly a value in that and um you know i think even for like i i'm personally a spotify fan myself but we offer a lot of tools that help teachers pick music that doesn't get in the way of their instruction and um you know that's a learning curve for a lot of teachers of how to use how to sequence music so that it's not something that's kind of uh in the way of what they're saying during class you know yeah so yeah and you know we have so we've got our market in the u.s but We're also worldwide now, and China's expanding rapidly. So we'd love to get in doing business there. I think the future of Yogi Tunes would be a consumer app as well that really gives people the power of music as a daily mindfulness tool and gives them just like helps them improve their daily habits through through music. Kind of like uh, there's the app out there called Insight Timer, which is like a meditation mindfulness app yeah. something like that but much more in the music space
0: i think i've got some tracks on insight timer they they yeah. just started trying to monetize it but i haven't i don't think they really do they have a lot of stuff on there but i've got some quote-unquote meditations that are just music
1: yeah yeah i mean they have a lot they blew of up but they blew up for free so that's yeah. always the challenge when apps scale really big as free and then they try to introduce the monetizing afterwards yeah um We've always known that the music we have is super valuable, so you got to pay to get access to it. But, um, yeah, we've mostly struggled with technology. Building really good streaming apps is expensive, and we failed. Our first two apps kind of sucked. So this Did one you guys is fine. Finally...
0: Do you focus much on the fidelity of the streaming? Yeah.
1: yeah. We have... Uh, 320 kbps mp3 streaming now like you can set a high quality stream Mm -hmm. switch and settings That's good um and for that we had to learn a lot about how to optimize the streaming technology itself so that it delivers rapidly you know yeah that's the big thing um but yeah that's important to us although it was really difficult in our first app we had it was like we couldn't get it much higher than 128 k's without it dropping out for people streams dropping in class that kind of shit
0: yeah it's changed a lot in the last few years,
1: yeah yeah now you can actually basically rent a server that's optimized for streaming audio mm. um and that's way better than just a regular web server so um, yeah 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 so YogiTunes. tunes do you still
0: have all the artists uh you had before
1: pretty much yep yeah. we um like in our very first iteration, we were download only, and we did deals with big distributors, and we had a lot of music. But that that version totally failed. The distributors got bought by Sony, and we got all of our deals got terminated. We lost like eighty percent of our catalog, and we were paying really high rates for that music. You, when you're dealing with distributors, you got to pay like seventy percent of your revenue to them for the rights to the music. Wow. Um, when we started up again, which is right around when you and i got connected it was really just independent deals only Mm -hmm. um and so we've maintained that and i just make sure i keep good relations with all of our artists so that they're patient because a lot of them have been around for a while and they're wondering when we're gonna start making them some money but you know i just stay transparent about the challenges and so far so good and we still get artists coming to us wanting to be on board so you know that's cool yeah. Have you
0: seen any trends in the kind of music that's popular or being used that's changed in the last couple of years or even last time?
1: Yeah, totally. I would say um, there's certainly more, you know, and this has been a direct reflection, I think, of Spotify becoming so big. Is that teachers are certainly throwing in more way non-eastern like western music a lot of you hear like a lot of r&b hip-hop uh indie rock um dub reggae kind of stuff and that's all good like we certainly don't want to be like well this is yoga music and that's not yoga music but we're just mm-hmm. encouraging teachers to understand the basic. I'm actually putting together a video for a big franchise uh, in Canada called Moksha Yoga to help teach their teachers the basics of, of like how to, how to make good music sequences for yoga. Cause right, as, like the, as the genres expand, there's just more stuff that doesn't, it doesn't deepen the yogic experience, especially if there's English lyrics that are singing about really trivial things that don't have to do with what you're doing. Uh, that's like really common right now. It's like, it's really sentimental or it'll be like my baby left me or whatever, or this thing or that. And it it's like, whether you're listening to it or not, you're receiving that. And on a vibrational level, totally. your body's trying to figure out what to do with that.
0: You know? mm-hmm. so, yeah.
1: It yeah. It's a strange
0: juxtaposition.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, like I was lying in Shavasana a few weeks ago and this R&B track was rolling with this woman seeing, talking about how sexy she felt. And it was like, Okay, well, that's good. Like, it was a nice track, <laughs> but I can't really surrender to the egolessness of Shivasana <laughs> while this hottie's singing about being sexy. Like, I'm like, my ego is stimulated by that. So, you know, just some basics. But, yeah. But it's interesting with the genre thing. Like, I just went to Bhakti Fest, and I played with Shiva Ray, and I hung out with Saul, and a lot of these big yoga teachers that have been around because they have a lineage... And they're all playing stuff that's, to me, really true to the roots of yoga. Like, it's truly yogic music to me. It feels mystical. It feels like it's shamanic. It feels like it's going into this deeper place than
0: mm-hmm. a lot
1: of the mainstream stuff that you're hearing of teachers that just haven't gone that deep, honestly, in their relationship to what music can really do for embodiment. And I I think that's, that's part of what we're trying to combat right now in yoga is like, you know, don't just play the music that you like in class because there's something deeper that can happen when the context is right and when you understand the, the powerful, mystical experience that music can be and what makes that. Um, I didn't hear one teacher of all the teachers that I love have been teaching for decades do a- they, I don't even think they would ever do something like that honestly just because it would be so not, not de- as deep as it could be I guess is the way to say it.
0: Yeah. I've always thought that When you have live music, the whole point of it is that the musicians, there are responding to what's going on and vice versa. Like, why else do it? You know, otherwise you could just have any music playing. And sometimes, you know, there's no rule book or, you know, people playing music in yoga classes is sort of a new phenomenon. And I know when I started doing it, or was asked to do it, I should say, in 2014, I think, I didn't know anything about it. I actually Mm -hmm. didn't know anything about yoga. And... Mm -hmm. So I was just learning by trial by fire, and just learning mm-hmm. everything by just doing it. And I just developed my own way of doing it. But there was no one saying, "Oh, you should do it like this. Don't mm-hmm. do this. Don't do that." You know, this is mm-hmm. how you should end the class. Uh, and that I've just noticed over the years that if I'm not there, sort of with a little bit of a blank slate and responding to the teacher, and I really, really am always pushing for teachers to really listen to the music Mm -hmm. and let it inspire them, let it change course. And then like the students and the people doing the practice, the same thing. And hopefully we're in this conversation where it's going to go in waves. Mm -hmm. You know, we find these static sweet spots and then maybe it goes into disorder a bit and we're trying to, and then we find it again. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I, I've kind of stopped working with people that I don't know much, unless I feel Mm -hmm. like it's really like we're on the same page about that. Otherwise it's just going to be, because then I start to feel like if the teacher's not really listening it's a bit of a train wreck you know sort of like yeah. I'm doing my thing they're doing their thing It just sounds like yeah. a lot of noise is going on and I feel yeah. the whole time like it might be better if I just stop playing but I've been yeah. hired to play <laughs> cuz you're yeah. not listening and it's just more sound in the room yeah and and uh that's a that's a tough position to be in yeah and I think we're all kind of figuring it out as we as we go along but I always aim for that that, that communication and flexible style i want that to be present from everybody
1: yeah totally that's well said i think i've come to the same realization as well i'm very protective about who i play with for that reason and i want i want to get to know their teaching style and experience whether or not they're listening and it certainly presents a unique problem with playing pre- pre-recorded music in classes i think you know again the same instruction is there for teachers of like make sure you're listening to what it is that you're playing so that you can have that conversation even if the music is pre-sequenced so that it doesn't just become these separate things happening that people are trying to, you know, integrate. Um, And that's certainly, you can feel it right away when I'm taking a class. You know, I rarely take a class where music is being played unless I've really connected with the teacher because the same thing ends up happening, which is that they're just not in that conversation with what's going on. And so it just ends up becoming distracting and I just prefer silence. Um, But I think I came about it the same way as well, playing music and yoga classes early on, just responding, you know, responding to what, um, what's happening in real time. And that's a beautiful thing when it works right. That's a beautiful new addition to the yogic experience to me is that symbiotic nature of, teacher and musician and being in a kind of live and, and reactive and responsive uh experience with the yoga audience that that's that's a beautiful thing so well, there's
0: that whole other world too of like i don't know there would be beastie boy yoga or yeah uh, or black light yoga or i saw doom metal yoga which is it's all yeah. like good times i guess but um it's more of a one-off in my opinion you know what i mean it's like let's just it's it's like what would happen if we did this but it's not like that's your practice you
1: know totally i remember i was at a certain yoga and music festival uh years ago and they tried doing a pink floyd yoga jam in the lobby of this hotel and they had laser lights and smoke machines and oh uh, yeah yeah me me and craig from shaman's dream were playing but they put us with teachers who'd never taught the music before. And oh, it, was boy. Just, it was such a bad experience. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's a total marketing ploy and, and it, occasionally it's fun, but um, you know, the thing that I'm, we're sort of putting into this instructional video is like, if you're going to do something like that, set it up as a theme and give people a sense of the context, but otherwise just, you know, keep it simple and, and, There's no need to be, uh, I mean, I don't know. I've heard of an indie rock yoga studio in Boston where that's all they play all the time. And I think, okay, that's cool. Like people need their cultural hook where they feel like they belong.
0: Um, What's your feeling on like the explosion of yoga and how it's sort of diversifying from its original roots with festivals? You know, anything from like Wanderlust to, uh, you know, all the scenes that
1: are pretty
0: materialistic and it's easy. I struggled with this one.
1: Um, so when I first studied yoga, I learned it in a little living room with this guy who was like roots. He'd spent 10 years in India studying Ayurveda. And then he actually went to Egypt and studied a form of yoga there. And then he went to central America and studied a Mayan system of yoga and he was doing a Yeah. Mayan yoga, Mm -hmm. um, five chakras. And, uh, he was he was doing cancer therapy with music and yoga and i learned yoga in his living room and it was like this deep deep experience and then i moved to la and the first thing i did was go to this like red carpet yoga party with like a thousand people and cameras with people posing and i was i was just like what the fuck happened to yoga man like this is not this is bullshit you know i was really pissed and then i started looking all the magazines that were selling yoga products with like tantric this and you know, how to yoga that. And I just, I was disgusted and my heart broke. It really broke. And I kind of went into this grieving process around the feeling of loss of how our culture commodifies everything and, and takes it away from what it what special and sacred about it and turns it into a profit and product. And, you know, honestly, dude, I fucking hated that shit. And it was it made me really pissed for a long time. Then I got to a point where I was like, well, I need to heal that rift with my own heart around yoga. And it's better that that's going mainstream than, you know, some other craze that doesn't have the roots that yoga has. Because for every one person that's lost in the commodity of yoga, there's someone else who's going to find yoga because it's a commodity and they're going to start going deeper into the roots of it, you know? And I think yoga is strong enough to withstand the West. Honestly, (laughs) I think it's, uh, it's Strong enough to be raped by the West. <laughs> totally, man. And that's exactly what happened. It got fucked up the ass. It's like, you know, can it, can it come back from that and remain sacred? I, that was the other thing I just experienced at Bhakti Fest was a feeling of intactness with Shiva Ray and with a few other teachers who are holding down the root and who are aware of what's happened to mainstream yoga. And mm-hmm. I think they have a strong enough influence to keep broadcasting a signal and training other people to come up through that and maintain that signal. Um, because yeah, I think it's, you know, it made me have to look at how many things that are sacred and radical, once they become mainstream, they lose that sanctuary and that radicalness. Um, and radical being actually the word of it being roots. Um, They lose the root, but you know, I have faith in yoga and I know for me, it's when I look at my own journey of whether or not I've been able to stay in touch with the roots of yoga myself, yoga has continued to come back and be of service to me when I'm lost in my own ego, when I'm lost in my own, uh, Westernized way of looking at things of like what's in it for me and how do I benefit? And, you know, I just need to do this so I can get ahead. I mean, those are all very Western things that I've got inside of me. And yet yoga has continued to be of service to me and help me soften my heart and help me return to my body and help me small make my ego less so that I can be of service. And so I think the belief almost comes from like my own journey of losing touch with the sacredness of it, but having it re, re-deliver its own awesomeness back to me in many you know, amazing ways. So, um, it's kind of a long rant, but I would say the last thought on that is at this point in human culture, I don't expect everybody to get it. I don't think that. And when I say it, like, I think lots of people are going to stay not aware of what it is that they could be aware of if they were really to turn on to what the beauty of yoga actually is. And, you know, we're in a, we're in a time right now where there's mass extinction happening, and there's a lot of suffering and death, and so it's just part of the acceptance of the times that we're in. That um, our culture may not may not find a way through this, but I still think yoga is there to serve those who really want to, you know, um, come back to life. Yeah, you could say there are
0: many roads to Rome, even if they're very windy and have some dead yeah. ends, but they all go to the same place. Yeah, I thought a lot about myself just you know having my work be a commodity and having it be a, a business and a career and that's kind of the kind of the only way to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And and that was a choice I made and I definitely had a clear message inside my in my heart to say it's time to do that. And at times it's it's fun to put on that business hat and play that game. But you're also working inside a system that it's, it's hard to step outside that. I mean, you can do lots of things by trying to stay in a gift model with certain things. Or you certainly have more creativity now and how you release music and what it is. And you have more freedom about that, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy and the creativity of that. But nonetheless, it's sort of like when you're inside a an economic system that's using the money the way we use it you can't you're not outside that unless you mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. and that's like actually the mechanism by which i'm connecting with people and the way that they place value on it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the way that i support myself but mm-hmm. you know when someone pays for something they often give it more value you know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of because we're so used to that mm-hmm. um
1: yeah, I think it's, and that's great that you're willing to do that because.
0: Well, willing, yes, and also, I'm. I mean, I can't, no one can escape the system anymore.
1: <laughs> no, they can't. But they can certainly hide from giving their gifts because they're afraid of it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, could. It's easy to be like, well, that's I can't. You know, I won't be a part of that, and I'll just do something else, and then the people out there don't get to experience, you know, the awesomeness that you're bringing through. So.
0: It's a slippery path, though, you know, one that you're always having to reassess. I think this happens in maybe any path we're on, but particularly ones that where your work is your spiritual path in some way, Mm -hmm. which you could say everyone's work is, but Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of always have to check yourself and kind of say, wait a minute, what's really going on here? What are my intentions? What do I really want? Mm -hmm. Um, can Can I let go of the, like... Desire for what I want to see happen versus what is happening too, and and all that ego stuff of everything's quantified. You could always be bigger. <laughs> the grass mm-hmm. is always greener yeah. on someone else's side, and you know, seeing that stuff in your mind and just kind of witnessing it and continuing with your process as a as a practice mm-hmm. and one of of giving and turning it over, hopefully to something larger. I mean, we're responsible for kind of our will and how we do things and the expertise we put to it and the skills we garner and and the energy we choose to do with it. But you know, what comes through itself, the gifts we're given and what people do with it, it's like God only knows where that yeah. come from or or what to do.
1: Yeah. And it makes me realize that um, you know, I think this having I mean I was just thinking about as you said that who are my role models and my mentors that actively demonstrate to me how to remain humble, but keep yourself out there. And, uh, you know, I think of like artists who I really respect, who've navigated that territory and managed to stay prominent and on top of their game without becoming the, the commodified thing. Who do you
0: respect in that way?
1: Um, First people to mind, Jayu Tal is one of my faves, I think. Mm. Really respect him. In fact, a lot of the artists I saw at Bhakti Fest, I feel like they're in that humility. Garish, uh, Dave Stringer, uh, Deva Pramal, though she wasn't at Bhakti, I've seen her a bunch. And I just, she's gotten pretty big, you know? And I've done some interviews with her and, and Miten, and I just love their humility. It's so sweet and kind and... So grounded and and they're on the road all the time. they've actually been on the road for i think like twenty years nonstop they've never <laughs> lived anywhere oh like <laughs> that you know, and lots wow. of opportunities to become the thing that that would pervert that, but they've just stayed really pure um, Amit, who I mentioned earlier my my, my teacher for singings, certainly like that, and he chose a really different path of like his band in Israel was huge like super famous and the ego of all that got to him. So he just let it all go and took this much more humble path of like, no one really knows who he is unless you found his teachings. Um, you know, but he's found a, a wonderful way to make a living and travel and do retreats and stuff. So, um, but you know, on the pop side of things, I would say sting and I actually had the, the beautiful treasure of p- performing at his 50th birthday at his house in Malibu oh. and um, with a, with a like cabaret band from LA and he's totally the real deal. Like he's just humble and legit. And a lot of his friends who are like uber famous are also humble and legit. And you know, that was, that gave me some hope because I'd met a lot of rock stars. I used to do uh, really big budget hip hop videos and I met tons of people in that <laughs> industry who were the commodity and became that so quickly because hip-hop was so commodified so quickly and they were just like the industry would just use them until they weren't making the money anymore and then they'd get cast aside and they'd be forgotten and the next thing would come forward and those people that what what that did to their humanity was pretty brutal you know and what they did with their money and their influence was also brutal and you know i certainly saw that lots of times and enough to be like whoa man i don't want to I don't want to go out like that, you know, right, like, like that. but uh, that's where I maybe got a little traumatized and shied away from my own uh, path at times, fearing that I would become that, you know, having seen it so close, so clearly. But I, I think, you know, it's certain styles of music, certain genres, certain parts of the industry bring that out more just by the nature of what you're making. You know, it's very materialistic or it's not.
0: You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's in an interesting place for musicians, particularly. I think the live scene has been fairly consistent as something that people continue to value, and it's a way of, of making money. But the streaming world changes all the time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think what's going to change more is sort of how music is made, whether mm-hmm. it goes from a stereo to a 360-type experience, mm-hmm. which would be a radical shift in music making. Yeah, But... It's, it's all kind of written on the wall, so to speak. And I mean, for all of us with streaming, we're just kind of trying to watch the trends keep every six months. There's a new major trend that you. Uh, yeah. But people continue to consume the music. If anything, there's more and more and more and more people consuming music. And I think that will actually double or triple in the next five years around the world.
1: Yeah, it's certainly an interesting like you were saying earlier. It's there's so many ways now to get yourself out there and, you know, be kind of the broadcasting what it is that you're doing whether it's through crowdfunding or live streaming or whatever. I think that probably for for me why I'm also continuing to plant these roots in this more analog experience of singing and doing music ritual is that fairly soon ai will be making music that's just as as good or better than the, our most loved artists and at that point what people are to me what people are going to want is connection they're going to want the humanity to remain in the experience and i'm not sure how digital is going to survive that honestly because at that point you don't know what you're getting, whether it's artificial mm-hmm. or not, and maybe AI will become not artificial and it will become just as uh, Super spiritual. loved and cherished as <laughs> as you know human artists. But yeah. my sense is that our our cellular being wants more than just the intellect, right? Like it wants so much more. It wants to feel the depth of what the human soul is capable of, and And you know maybe ai evolves that way in the future but i feel like there's going to be this awkward period in the middle where ai is purely intellect and the part of us that wants some soul needs to feel that and so how are we going to get that we're probably by direct contact with people who can go there with you you know
0: it Um, would be ironic if human beings build an ai so that we can have deeper connections that we feel we're not getting from other humans but it probably is
1: inevitable totally i mean i think that's in a way, the rapidness with which we're heading in that direction is a is a direct reflection of our deep desire for connection and our profound lack of it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it's like, sort of it's like a an oribus is that the word? <laughs> or it feeds itself totally, uh, and the yeah. commodification of it is actually the engine is the fuel. It's the wood yeah. and the fire yeah yeah, yeah it's, it would, it's a train that no one's really in charge of i mean no you, and it ever, won't it's be. spoken elon musk speaks about this how really no one's in charge of this this uh, ai thing but everyone's just kind of on board and racing yeah. forward and it's like well yeah. you know it'll be what it'll be i guess because you can't once it's out there you can't really control it theoretically
1: yeah and so then the question becomes like where's the value and as as I feel like as a musician, I'm very much, uh, by my nature, protector of, of humanity without being defensive. I, I'm invested in humans staying human. Um, that's really important to me. Not because I don't fear other intelligences or other life, but I just feel like the way we're going about artificializing ourselves is not well structured and um you know i like the organic feel there's a lot of value in that
0: yeah there's probably good reason why why we are what we are
1: (laughs) totally i was just somebody was explaining to me the other day they they specialize in post-traumatic stress disorder uh the vagus nerve which is Part of our like all organisms have the vagus nerve and are the root vagus nerve is your paralysis nerve It's the thing that makes you freeze when you're under threat. Yeah. The the next layer that developed way later was um, your fight and flight, fight or flight response is another part of your vagus nerve. But the final one that's really only to exclusive to humans and mammals is the facial vagus nerve and it's why you need that facial recognition and that connection based in order to feel calm and relaxed and you know it's uh, kind of going off on a tangent but that ai robot that i saw recently it's like its face is so awkward looking you're just like
0: ah get away man it'll take uh, some time so anyway well i digress This might be a good place to close, coming back to sort of like the original roots of why you're doing it. And I like that you're speaking about how this, I like this, I really like this singing practice thing that you're doing, because uh, I like how much pleasure it's bringing you. And it's something that it's, we all have, you just sing. Yeah, (laughs) It's the ultimate technology built into our systems that we now pay people to do for us. But it's like, hey, you can do it too. And yeah. Maybe people could check out that guy you're talking about. That's cool.
1: Yeah, man. I Ami mean, Carmelli, check him out, and um his uh practice that he does is called Wild Roots. And uh we do we do yearly retreats up here on Salt Spring Island and uh he does a once a year deep dive in Greece. And other than that, he certainly is open, you know, if enough people are interested in what he's doing, he'll come to a place and do like a weekend deep dive for folks so they can get a feel for it. So um yeah it's good good endpoint it's great work. what about
0: your own stuff do you have any links you want to point people to
1: yeah for sure people can go to raraavismusic.com r-a-r-a-a-v-i-s music.com uh all my music is up there all my desert dweller stuff my shaman's dream stuff my own solo stuff uh they can find me on soundcloud at the same forward slash Music. i've got like some solo recordings, lots of DJ sets for for ecstatic dance up there, and then check out Yogi Tunes. Um, we're currently in public beta, um, but you can just sign up for our newsletter at yogi-tunes.com, and we'll send you some free music. And we we launched our new app actually on Monday, and uh, if you like,
0: so that'll be of- in the past when this comes out. But yeah,
1: all right. So that yeah. will have been launched October fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. big thing so you can just go to yogitunes.com and check it out
0: right on man Yeah. congrats thanks for talking
1: yeah you bet Trevor thanks for the time man appreciate it
0: alright there it is Mr. Yogi Tunes rah rah Alex thank you so much for joining us this music that you are hearing in the background is a remix of the song Held and the remix is by Lorna Doon I love Lorna's work. She uses um, mostly analog synthesizers to create these grooves, and she d- does a lot of just that groove. She's also an incredible pianist and composer. She composed uh, the string arrangement on um, the song Hearts Are One on the Karen album, and she's done another remix for us. So, and some other stuff. So anyway, I really like this track. It's groovy, and I've been, I want to just bring it to your attention if you haven't heard it. So, yeah, keep walking that walk. Do your thing. Don't take any shit, but you know what to do if you do. You got to do it with grace, kids, and it might take a little extra grace with Thanksgiving, but do your thing. Love you.